0: Daniel chapter number 2 this morning, and uh, kind of again when we'll walk through this chapter, again, many of you have probably uh, read this and maybe wondered some things concerning this particular image. We understand it from Daniel chapter 2, it's on the lesson there, that uh, this was the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, can you imagine this king of Babylon, he goes to sleep and he has this dream, and uh, have you ever dreamed something in the next morning, not remember what it was, but it's like it was there, but it's not there? Amen. You ever had that happen before, and you just can't remember? Well, that's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar, and so... Nebuchadnezzar, he says, Hey, listen, call me all the magicians and astrologers and people who are supposed to be able to help me in this area. And so they come, and he says, Hey, listen, tell me the dream. And they look at him and said, Well, what dream? I mean, what, what's the dream? And they, he says, Well, I can't remember it. You tell me the dream. And then tell me the interpretation of it. And then this, this, the uh, wise men, I guess you could say, of Babylon said, There's no king that's ever asked that before. Only the gods know that. They're not in flesh. And so he says, No, you're just trying to buy the time. So if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to kill you. How do you like that? I mean, that's not called job security. So then they come to Daniel, and Daniel was considered a, um, a wise man. Again, going back to Daniel chapter 1, he was supposed to serve the king. And, of course, we understand uh, how he became one of those and that was considered the wise men. So they come to kill Daniel, and Daniel says, hey, let me talk to the king. So he goes to the king and says, hey, listen... Just give me some time, and I'll give you the interpretation, or God will give us the interpretation. So that's this whole chapter is talking about this particular dream. Now, God had a purpose with this dream, like he does with everything, and it was to show that Christ's kingdom was coming, righty. Yes. Now, if you look at the screen, we'll pray and run here. There are so many, if you go to the Internet, you can find a lot of different pictures, and I can't tell you which ones are better or worse, because obviously we can't really see what the dream was. It's just that we know the head was of gold, We know that the uh, arms and chest was of silver, the loins and waist was of bronze, the legs were of iron, and then the toes were of iron and clay. Now that's what we're going to look at this morning in Daniel number two, and all of this was a picture of Christ coming back again and setting his kingdom up. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, kind of give you a synopsis of the the thought, and then we're going to look at this and what the Bible says. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll run for a little bit. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for your word. I ask you to please help us to, uh, to gain knowledge, but wisdom, uh, Father, that we might understand the passage. And then, Lord, again, look forward to your day coming and setting your kingdom up upon this earth and us getting to live and reign with you. I ask you now to give wisdom and words to say. And, Lord, thank you again for, your, for the word. Thank you for giving us this chapter. Lord, help us now have an understanding heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's look at Daniel chapter 2. Let's read a, couple of, a few verses together here. Uh, we'll just pick it up in verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, verse number 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded, called the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream. Uh, Verse number three, And the king said unto him, I have dreamed a dream. My spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream. Verse number five, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. They start to argue with the king for a little bit. Jump down to verse number 10, The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth... That can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, or ruler that asked such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. There is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 12. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth. Verse 14. Then Daniel answered... With counsel and wisdom to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said to Ariok, the uh, king's captain, Why is this decree so hasty from the king? Verse 16, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. So we understand from verse 1 through 16, the decrees out, magicians and astrologers are going to kill. But verse 17 through 23 is Daniel praying and getting the answer. I want you to notice it wasn't just Daniel. Then Daniel went to his house, verse seventeen, and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who are those three guys? We know them mostly by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, these were their Hebrew names. It says, in the, I like the last two words, verse seventeen: "His companions." Good to have good friends, amen. amen. Verse eighteen: that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret. So they go. They go to prayer. So, hey, listen, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we need to pray for these. For God to give us because if he doesn't tell us what the answer is, we're all dying along with these other guys. All right. So they pray. God gives the answer. Verse number uh verse number 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. The rest of these verses is him there's a good thought here as far as him, what he says to the Lord here, verse verse 23, just thanking God. Verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O, o thou God of my fathers. Verse 24, first word in verse 24 is what? All right, so now that they got the answer, therefore Daniel went in unto Ariach, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said unto, the, unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have dreamed and in the, in the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, verse 27, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men... The astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. I like verse 28, that first phrase, but there's a God in heaven. Aren't you glad there's a God in heaven? Amen. Hey, when we don't have the answer, there's a God in heaven, all right? When we need the Lord to do something in our life, there's a God in heaven. And so that's what he tells him, and that's the answer for sure. But look at verse 28. This is why he had the dream. But there's a God in heaven that revealeth the secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed. Are these? As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? That's the whole purpose of the king, or the, of the dream, is to show the king what's going to come come to pass. And he that reveal the secrets uh, maketh known to the king what shall come to pass. So, what's the purpose of the, this particular dream? It was to show Nebuchadnezzar and to show us what was is going to come to pass. All right. Now he gives uh, what the dream is. If you look back at your Bible, look at verse thirty one. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, was bright, whose brightness was exceeding, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. Again, he continues to describe this through verse 35. Verse 32 says, This image's head was of, was of gold, was, I'm sorry, was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou, verse 34, thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carrieth them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. All right, so that's the dream that he has. The picture you have up there. Again, I know there's probably better pictures, but just giving us an idea of what this Now he's going to interpret the dream. Verse number uh, 37, uh, he, he interprets, and it's going to go down through, I think, verse 42. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Verse 37, thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he hath given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. The last phrase of verse number 38 says, thou art this head of gold. All right, now, again, I know you have to stay with me until we get to the interpretation and we're getting close. I want to walk through these real quickly with you. This particular image is representing world empires. That's why he said Nebuchadnezzar, every person, every beast, everybody is under you. And it's because Nebuchadnezzar had owned all of that, at that time, all the known world was under the dominion of Nebuchadnezzar. So this image that he has in his dream is a picture of all the world powers that are, that were going to at that time, that were going to take place, and by the way, and still are going to take place as we get down to the toes and that we talk about that rock, that Christ sets his kingdom up, all right? So as far as world powers is what he's talking about here. Look at the next world power, verse number 39. He says, and after that shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, that's the silver, And then another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Verse 40, and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all of these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. All right, now, church, let's stop for a second here. You know, I should say you know, most of you probably know your history a little bit. We understand that Babylon was the world power at the time that this was written. Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed all known. Egypt, and Jerusalem, Judah, and Moab, and the Ammonites, and Tyre, Tyre being on an island. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed everybody, and he was the boss, all right? So the world empire, this head of gold, was a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. Then he gets down to the silver in this image, and that's the Medo-Persian empire. You remember, we have bits and pieces in the Bible, and of course, Josephus, the historian that has given the historical account from the Jewish uh, site, Tells us a lot of things, but we understand that. Remember, Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar, I should say, Belshazzar was king, and remember, as we read farther into Daniel, and that night uh, he saw the handwriting on the wall, Meeny Meeny Tikal and I think is what it said. And it, the Bible says that night he was disposed of his kingdom, and then Darius, the, the Medes and Persians, the Medo Persian Empire, they took over, over Nebuchadnezzar, or they took over Babylon. That was the second world power. They weren't as strong as Nebuchadnezzar but they were still a world power, all right? So that has already come to pass. The third one that you have up there is the brass, which is the Greek empire, Alexander the Great, all right? He's pictured as a leopard in the book of Daniel because of his quickness of overtaking the world, and he became the next world power, all right? He didn't last very long, but he was a world power at that time, as the Bible says. Then the next one is the iron. That's the Roman empire. They were the ones in charge at the time of Jesus Christ, all right? (laughs) That's where we have the Roman emperors, all right? They were strong as iron. And you have Caesar and all these different people that were part of of the Roman empire, all right? Now, so God's giving this dream for one purpose, verse 29 and verse 45 tell us, and that's to tell us what things are going to come to pass, all right? Now, I'm glad that we have a Bible that God tells us what's coming to pass, all right? Now, he doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us this, all right? Now, let's look a little farther and see what he says next here. In verse number 41, I think is where we left off, It says, and whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, now think about that, verse 44, it changes uh, the thought here, in the days of these kings. Now, what that tells us is if the toes were of iron and clay and there's 10 of them, there will be 10 kings. That's what verse, the next verse is telling us about, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the 10 kings, shall the God of heaven uh, uh, set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. All right. I know we're doing this in a nutshell this morning. How do you do all this in 20 minutes? I don't know either. But I want you to understand that when we, you have a break in this, a large time break in this particular statute, Nebuchadnezzar, then after Nebuchadnezzar, Medo-Persian, which have been Darius and Cyrus. After the meso persian Empire, you have Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great, you have the ten Roman, or I'm sorry, you have several Roman emperors as far as the Roman Empire. Then Jesus came the first time. Are you with me so far? Amen. Jesus Christ came the first time, and he died on the cross. Now, The time lapse to those 10 toes is going to take place when the Antichrist comes back because there are going to be 10 kingdoms. We call it the Old Roman Empire. You'll notice on the iron up there, it says the Roman Empire. Then the last one says the modern powers. We believe that the Old Roman Empire, which believe it or not, are going to be the countries in the Middle East, that 10 of them are going to be strong and weak, strong and weak, as the Bible said here, those 10s, because part of iron, part of clay, Antichrist is going to set his kingdom up. Another world domination. One world government. One world currency. One world religion. It's all going to happen for seven years. But guess what? There's a rock coming. Are you all winning so far? All right. Look at your Bible again. Let's read a couple of verses here. In verse number 44 again. And in the days of these kings, when the Antichrist, again, trying for world, world domination, Uh, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. What kingdom? That's the millennial reign of Christ. And the kingdom shall not be left unto other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand, how long? Verse 45, for as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. That's because Jesus Christ is God. He's without hands. He wasn't made or created. He's God. And that it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God hath... Hath known, hath made known to the king, which is Nebuchadnezzar, what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. All right. Now, the rest of the chapter just talks about how the king's happy about knowing what's going on, and he promotes Daniel. Now, church, I want to talk to you for just a little bit this morning. And I know we're not going to. I'll hit some verses in Revelation. I don't know we'll really delve too deep into this, but I want to talk about the millennial reign of Christ for just a little bit this morning. All right. I'm going to be teaching Revelation and in Institute. And this will obviously goes a little bit hand in hand as far as where we're going to be at. When Jesus Christ comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist will have reigned for seven years. The last three and a half years, is. If we can, let me back up for a second there. In the middle of the, of the uh, tribulation period, three and a half years into it, he marches into the temple, which he's going to allow to be built in order to be able to get world dominance and world peace. And he's going to walk into the temple. He's going to desecrate that temple. The Bible calls it the abomination of desolation. All right? The abomination of desolation, he walks in, defiles it. And instead of the Jews being able to serve the Messiah or God, he's going to proclaim himself God. All Roman Catholicism will no longer be. All right? Read Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Revelation 17 is religious Babylon. Revelation 18 is political Babylon. And in Revelation 17, the Antichrist destroys the Catholic Church. I believe the Catholic Church is that one world religion of a works-based religion based upon what I do, not what Christ did for me, all But I'm telling you, three and a half years into the tribulation period, the Antichrist is gonna destroy that as well, all Because he wants everybody to worship him and him alone, all right? So the last three and a half years, Jacob's trouble. The last three and a half years, the great tribulation. All these things are gonna take place. But at the end of the tribulation period... He goes marching against the Jews and heading toward Jerusalem at the same time that we come back on white horses. They turn their guns against us and the Bible says that God, Jesus, destroys them with the word of his mouth. All he's going to have to say is done, okay? I don't know what the magic word's going to be, but the word of his mouth means he destroys the the beast, which is the Antichrist, the false prophet. They're immediately cast into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years and put into a bottomless pit. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to set his kingdom up. All right? That's the millennial reign of Christ. All right? Now, I think these questions, I never look at your lesson. I think these lessons uh, are, are these things are in your lesson this morning. But I want to go over these questions. Do you have a lesson right there, babe? Is that what your lesson is? Let me just, I'm just curious what you guys have in your hand this morning. Uh, Okay, good. If you look at the back page of your lesson, the application of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, I want to go through these questions with you, and I want to try to answer these questions as well as... um, Uh, talk talk about this for just a little bit. We might look at some other scriptures as well. First of all is when will the millennial kingdom begin? The millennial kingdom begins at the end of the battle of Armageddon, alrighty? So uh, rapture takes place. How many excited about that? When we all get to heaven, amen? And so we go to heaven, tribulation period takes place on this earth, we're in heaven, judgment seat of Christ takes place, marriage supper of the Lamb takes place. At the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb, we come back and uh, come back to the Reign on this earth, as the Bible says. That's when the millennial will begin at the Battle of Armageddon. Then Christ comes and sets his kingdom up. That's the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. The second question you have on your lesson there is how long does the millennial last? The word millennial or millennium actually means a period of 1,000 years. All right, That's why we know from the scriptures in Revelation 20, talking about the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Next one. Who will be allowed into the millennial reign? Uh, kingdom. All right. Now, just let to talk to you for just a little bit. I probably should read some more scriptures with you, and I will here in just a second. This question: h- h- there are so many different answers with this question. Who is going to be ushered into the millennial reign of Christ? All right. Now, how many has ever? How many's never ridden a horse before? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Everyone's risen uh, You, Cynthia, you never ridden a horse? Okay. During the millennial reign of Christ, in the Battle of Armageddon, you'll have your own. All right. And so, can you see Cynthia coming down on her horse? All right. She's riding down there. Uh, He comes down to the battle of Armageddon. We don't do anything. We watch Jesus. And Jesus takes care of all these armies of the Antichrist. But church, I mean, uh, the people that are at the battle of Armageddon, they're destroyed immediately, okay? The people that are around the world are not destroyed immediately, okay? So what happens is this, is those people are going to be ushered into the millennial reign of Christ. Now I will tell you something. There are people on both sides of this. Some people say, that the only people coming into the millennial reign of Christ are are believers, all right? I don't know that that's true. And I don't, personally, I don't think that's true for for this reason. That means that the battle of Armageddon, Jesus would have to destroy every person all the way around the world that doesn't believe in Christ. Uh, I need to show you a couple verses, if you don't mind. Turn over to Revelation, I think, chapter 20. Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation 20. All right, it's actually chapter 19. Chapter 19, second coming of Christ, verse number 11 through 16. We come back on white horses. Verse number 17 is the battle of Armageddon. Verse number 17 says, and I, Revelation 19, 17. And I saw an angel standing in, uh, in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. That's the battle of Armageddon. Verse number 19, and I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, those are the people he gathered with as an army, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The person on the horse is Jesus Christ, the army is us. Verse 20, and the beast, that's the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both, Antichrist, false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, I'm sorry, lake burning with brimstone. Verse number 21, here's what I want you to see. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I think the reason the Bible says remnant there is because everybody's not killed. A remnant of people are going to be killed at the Battle of Armageddon, but not everybody around the world. Now I, I'm going to stop and say this again. Some people believe that the reason all only believers are going to go into the millennial reign of Christ is because that anybody that gets the mark of the beast cannot go to heaven. Which means if unbelievers are going into the millennial reign of Christ, there is no way for them to be saved. Twice in the book of Revelation, if not three times, the Bible says that if you get the mark of the beast, you will burn in the lake of fire. So there's no way for a person who gets the number on their hand or their forehead for them to go to heaven or, for, or to be with Christ forever. It's an, it's an impossibility because the Bible says it can't happen. So there are some people that believe that only believers, but I don't believe that. And here's the reason I don't believe that. I believe that unbelievers and believers are gonna be ushered into the millennial reign of Christ because the Bible says that he will rule with a rod of iron. Church family, if only believers were going into the millennial reign of Christ, he wouldn't have to rule with a, with a rod of iron. He would just rule. The reason he has to rule with a rod of iron is because there's people who still do not believe in him. Now, we also understand, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but we also understand that at the end of the millennium, Satan's going to gather him an army as the sand of the sea. Am I correct on this? All right. right. You got your Bible. Let's just look at it real quick here. Are you there? Revelation 20 is where I'm at. Uh, The first part of chapter 20 talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ, verses 1 through 6. Uh, verse number seven, and when the thousand years are expired, Revelation 20, verse seven, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations that are in the four quarters of the earth. Now this is the, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, he's gonna go out and deceive in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, together to, to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp and the saints about in the beloved city. What's the beloved city, church family? Jerusalem, that's the capital, that's where Jesus is. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Of course, the last part of this chapter, you've got the great white throne judgment and they're standing before God and death and hell. Those who died at the battle of Gog and Magog and hell, those who are in hell right now, will be reunited to be able to stand at the great white throne judgment only to hear, depart from me, I never knew you, and be cast in the lake of fire forever. I'm not meaning to bore you this morning, I'm sorry. I just just want you to think about that at the millennial reign of Christ, who is going to be in the millennial reign of Christ? I believe with all my heart that unbelievers and believers will be ushered into the millennial reign of Christ. There are going to be those who have already had the mark of the beast. there's no way for them to be saved. They will be ruled with a rod of iron. But church me, how does Satan gather him an army as the sand of the sea at the end of that thousand years? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, you're going to live longer during the millennial reign of Christ, All right. The Bible says that a child will live 100 years and ancient of days much more than that. So we, an older person, longer than that. We understand that a person will live longer than the millennial reign of Christ. That's how he gets an army at the hand of the sea. Number two is where are these children being born? If you're saved right now, it is impossible for you to bear children during the millennial reign of Christ. Because when you come back on white horses, you're going to have your glorified body. The Bible says that we are going to be like him, like Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we're also going to be like the angels. Angels do not have children. We will not have children during the millennial reign of Christ. By the way, your wife that you're sitting right and this is Scott Hanks speaking, okay? I don't believe that we're going to look at each other like we look at each other now. These people, well, I can't wait to get to heaven to be with my spouse. I'm saying this carefully. You can't wait to get to heaven to be with the groom. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings here. Church family, your mindset about your wife or your husband right now is going to be totally different because when you have your glorified body, it's going to be all about Christ. Amen. You remember what the Bible says when the, those those folks came to Jesus? The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, "Hey, listen, this woman uh, she got married and her husband died, and she got married again, and her husband died, and she got married, and said this happened seven times." And then the the was it the Sadducees? Yeah, the Sadducees. They said to Jesus, "He said, so who whose wife will she be in the kingdom of heaven?" Jesus says, you err not knowing the scriptures. He says, we will not be given in marriage when we get to heaven. Now, I love my wife, but I want to tell you something. When you get to heaven, your love for God is going to way outshine any type of love you could have for a person on this earth. All right? Now, all that to say is, we can't have children during the millennial reign of Christ because we're going to have a glorified body. So where does the armies of the sand of the sea come? It comes from all those people that are living, that are going to have children, that are going to live longer. They're going to have children during that thousand years reign of Christ. And Satan's going to come back. Now, think about this. If you've got the mark of the beast, it's impossible for you to get saved. But what about all those people that are born during the millennial reign of Christ? You know what the thing is? They still get to choose. During the millennial, I'm going to tell you something. You talk about the grace of God. It's always about choice on whether or not you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin or not. They will have a choice. And by the way, an army as the sand of the sea tells us that even during a perfect society with a perfect ruler, people are still not going to believe on Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how can that happen? Well, go back to the Garden of Eden. There were only two of them there. (laughs) They chose. So during the millennial reign of Christ, all of these believers and unbelievers are going to be ushered into the millennial reign of Christ. That's where all these people are going to come from. All right, quickly, let's go on to the next question here. Uh, letter D, what will the millennial kingdom of God be like? Now I just put several things there. There's, there's a whole lot more that we could look at. Uh, Jesus is going to rule over all the earth, Capital is Jerusalem. There'll be worldwide peace. Animals are going to be able to exist peacefully. Isn't that going to be exciting? Man, go up and pet a lamb, shake hands with a bear, have that, uh, snake wrapped around you, nothing's going to happen to you. I mean, no fear of animals and animals will have no fear of us during the millennial reign of Christ. All righty. And so, again, it talks about that. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, again, we didn't look at all these. Vegetation will grow exceedingly. Uh, again, with Christ here. Uh, man will know God. Think about that. Lost man and saved man, they're going to actually be able to see the Messiah face to face. They are going to know God. That's what's going to happen during the millennial reign of Christ. Suffering will cease. Unbelievers will still sin during the millennial reign of Christ. So th- these are some of the things that are going to happen during that millennial reign of Christ. All right? What will happen at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, all right? What happens at the end of the millennial of Christ is Satan deceives the nations one last time and that battle of Gog and May God fire comes down from heaven and then, of course, there it destroyed. destroy. Truthfully, isn't it a wonderful thing that when you got saved, you are saved? You know how the Bible says, um, John three thirty six: He that believeth on the Son hath what? Oh, he that believeth on the Son hath life and he that believeth on the Son, uh, not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him, all right? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Am I on the same page? All right. I thought it said everlasting. That's where I was trying to go. Everlasting. Did you ever thought about the day you got saved everlasting life begin? Amen. <clears throat> we look at everlasting life that when I end this life, everlasting life begins. Church me, you will never ever not be living with God. Praise God. Think about that. In other words, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Rapture takes place or death happens. If death happens, I'm immediate with the Lord Jesus Christ. If the rapture takes place, I'm immediately with the Lord Jesus Christ. I come back and the millennial reign of Christ gets said, I'm with the Lord Jesus Christ. When the millennial reign of Christ gets done at the end of that thousand years, and of course the battle of Gog and Magog fire comes down, you immediately have the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, death and hell should be cast in the lake of fire forever. The very next chapter, chapter number 21, the Bible says, God will be with man. We are going to be forever, and I know Jesus is God, and I know God the Father is God, but we are forever going to be with God. That's what, that's what it holds. So you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar having this dream, and he thinks this is a wonderful thing because all these other kingdoms have not happened. He's the head of gold. But I want to tell you, there was something a whole lot more miraculous than that head of gold. It was that rock. Amen. It was that rock that is going to destroy the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron. And the Bible says it as the wind takes it away. There will never be, what's the image representing of? There will never be a human ruler. It will be God as ruler. And God will set that millennial reign of Christ. You know, we talk about, you know, what's happening in politics. Could you hear me? We're dealing with the United States. This is talking about the world. This is talking about every man, person alive are going to be under the ruling of the Lord Jesus Christ during the millennium. And then we are going to, the Bible says, live and reign with him forever. Revelation 22, All right. You know, Revelation 22 only mentions two things that we're going to do forever. Uh, in the first six, seven, eight verses of Revelation 22, the end of the book, it says that we're going to serve him and reign with him. Amen. I want to tell you why it's so important for us as Christians to make sure that we live our life for the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not just about now. Oh, I'm living so I can have a good retirement. <laughs> you ought to be working so you can have a good retirement. I'm not talking about working to make money. I'm talking about working for the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible says that the righteousness of the saints. Did you ever notice in the book of Revelation, it does not call it the righteousness of Christ? In the New Testament, it calls the that the robe of righteousness or the righteousness of Christ. But church for me, when you get to the book of Revelation, it talks about the righteousness of the saints. We are going to be rewarded by what we do, how we live for God. All these petty differences that we try, that we get discouraged about or what somebody says about us or what we think about us. Can I just tell you something? There is something bigger than that. It's called living and reigning with Christ forever. This short amount of a dot, a speck of time that we live right now, we understand. And of course, he, he told Nebuchadnezzar, hey, listen, this isn't just about you. I know you've made it about you, Nebuchadnezzar, on who you have and who you're in charge of and what you get to do. and what you, it, It's not about you. It's about me. Remember what Daniel comes down, he's about to explain this entire, and he says, but there's a God in heaven. Amen. If you look at this chapter here, i me show you one last thing and I'm done, all right? I got 60 seconds. Follow me now. Look at Daniel chapter 2. I'll finish this out real quick here. Daniel chapter 2. Go back there for just a second here. Jump down to what Daniel said in verse number 18. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 19. Then was the secret revealed, Daniel chapter 2, verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he, God, changeth the times and seasons. He, God, removeth kings and setteth up kings. He, God, giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He, God, Revealeth the deep and secret things. I know God's not there. I'm just going to get you to understand that personal pronoun. He, Spock speaking of God, knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with thee. Amen. The image to Nebuchadnezzar was, I'm in charge, and I'm the ruler, and I get to find out. But that was not the purpose of the image. The purpose of the image was the rock, because the Bible says it will never be destroyed, and he will be forever and ever. You know what our lives are about? there's a God in heaven and it's forever listen be careful don't get wrapped up in this life what? know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost what does he say in the book of James it's even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away hey there's a God in heaven and we're going to be with him forever all this earthly kingdom that's going on right now there's a millennial kingdom coming we need to think about that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? If nothing else, let's thank the Lord that he's coming back. Amen? Yes. Let's thank the Lord that he's in control. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for again giving us your word. and Lord, thank you that we have more than hope. We, we, we see it. We know it. Father, thank you that it could begin today for us if you call us home to heaven. Lord, help us to live our lives for the future not necessarily now as far as what we get and what we're doing. Maybe we think about your coming back again. We're gonna live and reign with you forever. Father, thank you again for your word. Now, Father, bless it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, you're dismissed.